the naturally occurring psychoactive compound, psilocybin, is found in over 200 species of mushrooms. Despite their millennia of use by humans for mental and spiritual well-being, they have been classified falsely among the most dangerous and illegal of substances. Locked away from those who need them most. The Psilocybin Chronicles documents the individuals who courageously consume, collect, or cultivate these mushrooms to improve the quality of their lives. Won't you join us as we welcome the return of psilocybin? Welcome to the Psilocybin Chronicles. I am your host, Eric Osborne. The Tao Te Ching states in its opening sentence, The Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. This statement reflects well the psychedelic experience also. The mushroom trip we can describe is not the true mushroom trip. As I do try to put words to my understanding of the psilocybin experience, I often find myself speechless. Occasionally, I use words that in other contexts I would have a difficult time relating to. Energetic blockages, psychic transfer, even the common phrase holding space rubs me a bit wrong with its lack of specificity. Holding space? I mean, how do you hold something that is as abstract as space? This has all been very frustrating to my rational science mind itself. In reality, psilocybin came into my life as an accompaniment to scientific and culinary mycological explorations. Herpetology has been another love of mine. I have and have always loved the natural sciences and have abhorred the, quote, new age and the woo-woo, and I still ultimately do. Fortunately, though, I have found a framework that gives me some scientific rationale to my experiences that currently have little to no points of reference in Western traditions. While I greatly appreciate Michael Pollan's work and the research being done at some of the major universities in the U.S. and around the world regarding psilocybin, I think it is a long time before clinical models develop a system of scientific language that suitably describes the psychedelic experience. People are coming to psilocybin these days after having read the research, thinking that psilocybin functions like any other Western medicine. Uh, you take the pill, you see some things, and then you feel better. And folks, this is simply not how it works. Purging is not uncommon. There is little mention of this in academic musings. Many individuals and myself have experienced this purging as accompanied by a resurfacing of painful memories or emotions that have been stored in the body, generally followed by an enormous sense of release. And there are many, many more manifestations of this energetic work that defy our everyday understandings. You don't hear much about that in the literature either, do you? Uh, I mean, how does a memory get stored in a shoulder? <laughs> Well, my current understanding is that one of the primary functions, or let's say potentials, of psychedelics is their ability to help us viscerally experience our bioelectromagnetic system. This system exists. There are instruments to measure it. And it seems to me that much of our trauma, neurosis, and unhealthy thought patterns are intimately intertwined with this quote-unquote energetic system. Taoism has a rich tradition of empirical knowledge regarding this body system. From the website UniversalDao.com, Mantak Chia, one of the world's leading Taoist teachers, explains, The teachings of the Tao are techniques to quiet your mind so you can discover your true self in the wisdom of the heart. 
Taoists say that we must learn to observe with the mind and think with the heart. In the West, we get caught up in the monkey mind of our ego. We think that we can control our individual destinies by swimming upstream against the current, but we are mistaken. When we learn to quiet the monkey mind with meditation practices, we are able to go beyond the linear thinking of the upper brain and connect to the multidimensional thinking of supreme consciousness in the heart center. Taoist practices are designed to cultivate a balanced life of love, health, longevity, and spiritual evolution. It is a complete system for our integrated physical, energetic, emotional, mental, and spiritual bodies. The focus is on developing and refining our life energy, our chi, or our bioelectromagnetic life force, for the self-healing and life enhancement. Tao means way, the way of nature, the way of the universe, the natural way. The way of the Tao is a process of returning to the primordial all-consciousness void, whereby the practitioner consciously senses the personal chi within the body and then the chi of earth, nature, and the universe. We establish a relaxed, healthy-based life in our physical and social environment. At the same time, we strive to achieve spiritual independence and merge into oneness. I present this to my audience because I find it a very helpful framework for understanding and integrating our experiences with psilocybin. Also because my guest on this episode represents one of the most energetically powerful individuals that I have yet encountered. Amazing things happen around him. And together, we became distinctly aware of our individual bioelectromagnetic fields. It was truly profound. Now, I'm not here to preach a thing, folks, not even psilocybin. I'm here with you all just trying to put the pieces together the best we can. I don't believe that we will ever be able to fully depict the psychedelic experience. There will never be words to sufficiently describe the universe, the Tao, whatever you want to call it. And personally, I think at some point, science is just going to have to be okay with that. Garrett Bennett is a graduate of Arizona State University with a degree in journalism and a minor in communications. Garrett is a globally traveled adventurer, to say the least. Upon completion of his studies, uh, Garrett spent five years as a wildland firefighter in the U.S. Forest Service while also planning climbing expeditions around the globe during the off-seasons. Shortly thereafter, Garrett opened Center Focus Experiences in Sedona, Arizona. This adventure guide company offers tours through the southwestern U.S. and has been in business since 2007. In 2016, a series of traumas debilitated Garrett with major depressive disorder and PTSD. Since then, Garrett has been involved in intensive study regarding the mind and has been rapidly healing using alternative means having come off any and all medications while avoiding most Western medical modalities. Garrett continues his studies regarding the psyche and is planning an integration between his current business and the healing potential of having a relationship with the land through eco-therapeutic approaches. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Garrett, welcome to the Psilocybin Chronicles. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been, man, wow, what a, what a week, what a guy you have turned out to be. Why don't you go ahead and let the listeners know if there was someone you could consume psilocybin mushrooms with throughout time or history, uh, who might that be and why? I think I would choose Albert Einstein. I'm interested as far as physics and quantum physics and how science is bridging a gap in certain instances with 
um, almost existentialism. And I would be curious to unlock the mind of a scientist, mm. specifically one that is as bright as what he was, to hear um, an expanded uh, understanding of the world of physics as projected through a uh, mushroom experience. Wow, yeah, that's one of the ones that I've considered too. Any of these great minds, Stephen Hotwell, I mean, it's just so, so many. There's so many. Neil deGrasse Tyson, I wonder if he's ever consumed psychedelics, you know. And <laughs> mm-hmm. you have to wonder about Einstein either. I mean, who knows, but great choice, great choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would be uh, interesting. So, so tell me, uh, the, your first exposure to psilocybin mushrooms as an idea, where did you first hear of them? So I was part of an outdoor community um, of climbers and backpackers. So most of our world revolved around wilderness settings, um, kind of an indigenous way of living and also being friends with a number of Native Americans. And so uh, mushrooms was something that was proposed to me over 10 years ago to simply go on a vision quest through a wilderness area and have a heightened sense of connection with that area is what I was told I would experience. And uh, that was my uh, first experience. So so this is the first time you experienced psilocybin, but but even as a uh, younger man, did you hear of magic mushrooms or were they even on your radar? No, they weren't on my radar at all, really, until that first experience. Hmm. It was only a few weeks prior to that experience. I was exposed and um, just those two weeks later, I was already experiencing my first journey. And how old were you, roughly? This would have been around 22 years old or so. Okay. Huh. So an initiation directly. Yeah, as an that's initiation. Correct. Well, why don't you uh, talk about that experience for us, please? So the, there were four of us out there. Two of the friends of mine had um, uh, dabbled in psilocybin quite a bit. My other good friend, Tim, and I had never tried it. So we were kind of the new kids on the block. We ate 3.5 grams, I remember. We were at high elevation in a wilderness area where it's filled with aspen and pine and um, amazing grasses and really beautiful remote place on a national forest. And I went into a full trip within, I want to say, 30 minutes and spent the next six hours largely just laughing. Um, It wasn't too internal or contemplative. It was more walking around in awe of the vibrational energy which became apparent the connectivity between nature within nature us into nature Mm. and it was just so humorous and joyous to experience that connection and so we just continually wandered around that area allowing nature to kind of talk to us Mm. through the uh through the mushroom and being able to see our connection with it and uh it was just hilarious to my buddy tim and i the two more experienced buddies of ours stuck together and were somewhere else during the time Mm -hmm. in the same area. But Tim and I just kept laughing the whole time and we were both seeing the same things as well. And we both kind of knew it and that would just make the laughter increase. Hmm. So just sharing the vision allowed us to know we were connecting to, which Hmm. was the first time we had felt that. Beautiful. And how did your relationship with psilocybin evolve after that? After that, it really served a purpose to keep going on those exact sorts of journeys in different places. 
mostly to experience that connection with the earth and um as i had described the earth's connection unto itself and all things Mm. and being able to actually see the vibrating energy um visually see it physically feel it um that's what the purpose really was until i ended up here at myco meditations which was my first experience after 10 of those trips uh in turning it inward and opening more of a contemplative journey uh inward versus Mm -hmm. more so spreading outward Mm -hmm. and watching the earth and that was about eight years ago your last experience before coming here yeah seven or eight years ago would have been pretty much around the 10th experience where again we always called it kind of a vision quest it was really just to view nature through the eyes of the mushroom Mm. not a lot of thinking involved Um, this is the first time i went into almost what i guess is described as like meditation while Mm. on the mushroom Mm. and discovery coming from that meditation so how can you compare or contrast the two experiences, the um, more roving mm. discovery of the external mm. connectivity uh, versus the internal application? I would say there are two very different experiences. The vision quest experience is something for me personally that I would go on when I just want to absorb joy and energy in its raw form through experiencing just raw connectiveness. Um, I feel that if I have emotional or energy or psychological blockages, that I would want to go into more of the meditative approach and use them as a tool to do that sort of work when I feel that work is what I should be using them to do Mm -hmm. as it does seem to uh, remove again, those emotional and psychological blockages. Mm -hmm. So you took an eight year or so break um, and you've now joined us in Jamaica. Um, What brought you to the mushroom this time? So after two years of battling through mental issues that had been unleashed from a series of devastating events in a short amount of time, I had gone through the Western medicine hospitals and attention and so on and so forth, and then realized I actually was getting sicker through that approach, which I had intuitively knew before engaging in that approach. And so I cast onto, off onto a path of meditation, mindfulness, um, energy work, and various things that started to quickly revive me. But I could tell that there were blockages, psychological blockages that had turned into just loops that had almost ingrained themselves so definitively that it would be hard to break those automatic habits, so to speak. And I had thought back to my use of psilocybin and what I would feel like the morning after those journeys. And I overlaid the way my mind would feel during those experiences with what I was battling in the current moment. And it seemed very viable to believe that it could 
allow passage for the conscious and unconscious to start to process things that I didn't think could otherwise be processed. Mm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our listeners um, struggle with mental illness, uh, a term that I struggle with mental health, perhaps, you know, um, is a better way to say it. Um, and I'm sure would appreciate hearing uh, some of the story of what you went through. Um, a lot of people feel, as you maybe did yourself, feel completely alone, like they're they're in their struggle all by themselves. And there are uh, there's the the wise, uh, learned specialists with their binoculars that are looking in at them and trying to help them understand. And uh, you really have had a profound experience not just with mushrooms and and your own mental health recovery but within the medical system itself so if you if you don't mind i'd love it if you'd share um, your story and what you went through sure so um after the series of these cataclysmic events i had about a seven day period in which i could tell that something psychologically was going very wrong. I had never had any experience with mental issues prior. I was very high functioning and no one actually would have ever thought that I could have ended up going down into the depths of the hole that I did. Within seven days, I lost my cognitive functions. I couldn't get out of a bed. I couldn't get food. I couldn't put socks on. I couldn't get a shirt on. I couldn't brush my teeth. I couldn't shower. Um, This went on for about eight weeks. Um, I started to lose a lot of weight. Um, I couldn't really even feed myself. It was terrifying. At that point, I had a friend bring me back to my parents' place to try to convalesce, started using uh, meditation, a lot of mindfulness, and just a lot of fight to get myself outside, do things that... um, were beyond difficult, uh, indescribably difficult. And I was maybe about 50% recovered when I was told that I should try the antidepressant Lexapro. I had done quite a bit of reading on uh, the uh, psychotropics at that time, and I had known two things, which was, uh, one, you really don't know how long someone's going to stay in a major depression. And it's typically six months, they say. I don't know how true that is. And two, that people with antidepressant use tend to have recurrent depression. Uh, And so this doctor told me that I would be in depression for at least three years if I didn't take that drug and that I was wrong and there are no studies relevant to having recurrent depression due to their use. I took that drug, became violently ill. Um, I was vomiting all day for three days. I called that doctor. They said to double my dose. So I doubled my dose and ended up having a new symptom which I wasn't experiencing which was a panic attack that never ended it'd be similar to looking in a street that you're crossing realizing you're gonna be hit by a car and you can't avoid it but that feeling was permanent every minute of 24 hours a day for five months Um, after trying to endure that which became not possible I tried to kill myself and a friend essentially alerted the police, which then led to me being admitted to a psychiatric facility, which I, at the time, was pretty desperate and happy to be in, again, doubting my own original judgment, because now there is no other choice, and hoping 
that there's help because that's what I wanted. After getting in there, things got worse. I was put through 19 different types of medications. It was obvious that they didn't understand the root causes of illness, that the spiritual um, and psychosocial spiritual elements weren't being addressed. I knew that's what was creating my illness. I knew that's what needed to be dealt with. Went through that whole system. Six weeks later, came out more ill than uh, ever before. And then essentially retreated back to my original routines and started to dig my way back out of the hole. Uh, at that point, I tried electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, luckily, I didn't lose any of my memory doing that. It did seem to dampen the amount of brain activity and uh, create a spaciousness that I think without I probably would have went to try to kill myself again. So it bought me a short window of time that seemed to last for only two to four weeks. Mm. Um, and then I was back in the thick of it again. And then I proceeded to go back to my own personal methods of nature, meditation, working on elements of the psyche, um, called a descent of the soul by one fellow mm. I work with, um, and various other things. Picked myself about 75% of the way back and then uh, was on my feet, was capable of self-healing, and then chose myco-meditations to try to um, address what I felt was the root, the deep root, which was that 25%. And uh, I feel at this point, I have accomplished transcending most of that 25%. And for the first time, feel fully confident I will reach 100%. Hmm. Can you talk about how your experiences have unfolded over the course of the past few days? So it unfolded in a way that I sort of expected and hoped it would, which is wonderful, where the first day it seemed like just an emotional release. That's all I could muster. The mushrooms just brought pain out and uh, that provided some space and that's all that was. Mm -hmm. The second session, it seemed that on the back end of the mushroom journey, I was able to catch an actual glimpse into true resistance, acceptance in a way that I couldn't have read it in a book. I had to understand it. And that really helped me to come to terms with a lot of what had happened, which I just wasn't able to come into terms with. The third session went a different direction where it was really based on the discovery of the power of love and humor, specifically humor, and how seriously I would take trying to get out of my situation, to better my situation, to heal myself. And I realized that being overly serious about it actually was giving it power. Hmm. And it's okay to treat it serious enough to do what you have to do. But um, I kind of loosened my grip. But I was also able to do that because I had healed to a level where I had the potential to loosen. And so it told me I had that potential and to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And then it really culminated with the final release, which was a removal of all of the pain and all of the blockages and all of the information that I couldn't process that I think had started to try to push its way out of me through those first three sessions. But the blockage had almost built up pressure. But now, in a good way, it was being pushed from behind to bust through that blockage. And the culmination of those lessons, as well as for whatever reason, the fourth dose, I felt that um, 
that blockage was just removed, I felt that I had gained an insight into an unlimited source of love, something that essentially I now knew how to work with that had energy and capability that I don't have within myself. Mm. And by becoming part of something much bigger, the emotions became manageable. Then I wasn't afraid of those emotions. I didn't have to tie them down within myself, which I was doing unconsciously. Now it became conscious. They were actually released. And I could tell it was the first time that the blockage had been removed. A therapist kept saying to me that it was like a cut with dirt in it. And the dirt was keeping that cut from healing and almost said it in a way where they did not know what to do about that. Mm -hmm. Although I think that description was correct, Mm -hmm. the dirt had been removed from the wound on my fourth journey, Mm -hmm. and I could tell that energy could now fill that space that was and had the potential to be healing, to heal me, and to hold me. Mm -hmm. We talked quite a bit about how um, the quote-unquote specialists um, have developed all of these tools to try and describe and rationalize and understand the psyche and the mind and psychedelics, all, all, all of existence. We're trying to break things down. Right? You know, this conversation, this metaphor you brought up with the binoculars uh, looking at a computer screen, right? Um, and one of the things that I haven't brought up with you through the week, really, um, but an, an aspect of the psychedelic studies that you're exhibiting is what the researchers are, you know, trying to call the mystical experience, right? And they're trying to understand the mystical experience because the mystical experience is the key to the transcendence and the psychedelic experience or to, to helping for psychedelics to be that real powerful vehicle of transformation, right? Um, so you, we haven't described your experience as mystical, really, but in the description that you've given, it is obviously uh, a mystical experience. And I would, I think that your entry point into that is really important and really valuable for people to hear. Um, and I would, I would really, if you don't mind sharing uh, when that, that, that breaking point came um, where you started to, um, move into the joy where you started to understand that there is a potential for relief and release. Sure. So I feel that this mystical experience is the same mystical that is involved in birth and death. Um, You know, those things are by definition mystical Mm -hmm. because we don't understand them either. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of things are, less mystical than what we think, but it depends how we define them. And I think that my experience wasn't voodoo magic, but more so something very real Mm -hmm. as in birth and death Mm -hmm. um, that is inherent and that indigenous cultures might have um, seen as, of course, of course, these energies, of course, these connections exist. Um, as we have become almost detached from the core of our existence, I think some of these things have become more magical than what they were to the indigenous <laughs> right. who saw them as just um, everyday healing tools. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, my experience involved 
having a moment where I was overwhelmed by pain and I started to cry. I thought that I had, due to the first three lessons during my experience here, learned to grieve authentically. And it was just finally a release of sadness. And there'd be a long, long journey ahead because there was a lot of this buildup. It quickly moved through that to something else where I really just wanted to be healthy and I had worked so hard and I wanted it with every fiber of my being and I reached out to my psyche to the world towards the collective and just essentially like begged for an answer of what do I do with all of this emotion all this trapped energy and uh, I said you know please please how do I deal with this and I actually heard back that you can't And the next thing I said is, well, what do I do with it then? And it said, uh, you, you give it all to me. And the next thing I knew, I had a lot of negative emotion, not only from what created my quote unquote breakdown, but from, I think, the beginning of my life, unleash itself from all of the protective mechanisms that held it within me, both psychologically and physically and energetically. And it was overwhelming. It was obvious right away where I could have had years to go if ever being able to get there because the magnitude of it was beyond even what I could have consciously ever imagined. And when I saw the magnitude of it, the first thing I thought was no wonder why you'd have to find coping mechanisms because this is an undigestible amount of Mm -hmm. pain. Mm -hmm. And you would spend a lifetime potentially coping with that much pain. And I was only able to glimpse it for about two seconds. And right at the cusp of it becoming overwhelming to a point where I don't know what would happen psychologically as I had unleashed so much, it would have overloaded my energetic, psychological, physical systems. And as soon as it would have really overloaded those systems, it felt as if it was released into this larger collective that had that capability to absorb it with joy and absorb it with love and actually appreciated receiving it. Mm. And that created a lightness and opened a doorway to what seemed like two hours following of having become an empty vessel in a very positive way by emptying out this toxic energy and all of this pain. And then for those two hours, it was being filled with love, with joy, with gratitude, and just more and more love. And there were a few moments where almost residual pain, thoughts, negativity would rise. And at that point, there was so much momentum behind that love. It just would scoop up anything I could put out and instantly solve it with the word love, which Mm. was at that point more of a knowing than an understanding Mm -hmm. than something I can put into words. And uh, for hours, I just had tears of joy as I was backfilled by this infinite source. And I knew that it was something that from then on I could access And that I could practice and continually work on through the rest of my life to have that connection, which I've always had, but really 
seeing it the way I did helped to really, really understand it in a way where, as I said, it's more knowing and uh, mm-hmm. it was invaluable. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, it was really, really beautiful sharing that with you. Really, and, and it was spectacular. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, knowing what you know about psilocybin now, and knowing what you know about the mental health system, um, where would you like to see this, or how would you like to see this intersect evolve? I feel that, for the most part, the mental health system is not working. I think that some of the doctors, one specifically who is a psychiatrist I work with that does not practice psychiatry, Um, any longer because of this reason, kind of know that their abilities are limited and mediocre at best. I think when you have a situation like that where you're not really sure as far as what's creating these quote-unquote illnesses and how to treat them, you need to expand your horizons and start looking for solutions and leave no stone unturned. And to neglect things outside of the clinical just because they haven't been studied in a clinical fashion yet, I I find is ridiculous. And I think there needs to be research into these modes because Mm -hmm. very little progress has been made otherwise. And we're seeing, I've seen how drastic progress can occur from the use of psilocybin. And um, if we had a solve all solution, I could see, you know, don't, don't change, don't fix what's not broken, but Mm -hmm. we don't have that. Right. And so the the search for that needs to continue. And there's a lot of viability in this. And when something has viability and you don't yet have an answer, then you need to be looking into those alternatives. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. Uh, wow. Yeah. So what's your billboard going to say? We can wrap this up in one sentence. <laughs> I would say my billboard would say join the collective. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, I would know what that means when I saw it. (laughs) I'm very, very, very grateful that I chose to join you on one of the greatest days of your life. Uh, I've thought about that so many times today that I almost didn't eat. And it was your experience, and that's the most important part. That's what you came here for. But it's important that you know, as someone who is being healed, is that you are also healing as well. And from the bottom of my heart, which I'm trying to expand and trying to further know love, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Thank you as well for providing this opportunity for us to come down and have such a wonderful uh, group of like-minded people Mm -hmm. to go through it with, Mm -hmm. as I think Mm -hmm. that's a a huge part in how I was able to get where I got. Because it is the collective. We are in this together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. So let's not get too woo-woo though here. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for hearing Garrett's story, and thank you, Garrett, for sharing it. May your pain serve a purpose, and may your joy bring healing to all who share in it. So I'm going to give you one to really think on here. Uh, I definitely am. Garrett said he would trip with Einstein, and if you have listened to the first few episodes, you've probably figured it out by now that we're looping back around. So yeah, here's some Einstein for you, and it is a doozy. He's talking, you guessed it, language, signification, word combinations, the ineffable, the possibility of thinking without words, and much, much more. It's only about three minutes long. 
You'll probably need to listen to it more than once if you really want to understand what he's saying. And it's applicable to what we're trying to get closer to, better signifiers for our experiences so that we can relate these understandings to our communities. Garrett, my man, this one is for you, all of our listeners. May both your journeys inward and outward be safe and rewarding. Until the next time. The first step towards language was to link acoustical, acoustically or otherwise commutable signs to sense impressions. Most likely, all sociable animals have arrived at this primitive kind of communication. A higher development is reached. When further signs are introduced and understood, which establish relations between those other signs designating sense impressions. At this stage, it is already possible to report somewhat complex series of impressions. We can say that language has come to existence. If language is to lead at all to understanding, there must be rules concerning the relations between the signs on the one hand, and on the other hand, there must be a stable correspondence between signs and impressions. In their childhood, individuals connected by the same language grasp these rules and relations mainly by intuition. When language becomes thus partially independent from the background of impressions, a greater inner coherence is gained. Only at this further development, where frequent use is made of so-called abstract concepts, language becomes an instrument of reasoning in the true sense of the word. But it is also this development which turns language into a dangerous source of error and deception. Everything depends on the degree to which words and word combinations correspond to the world of impression. What is it that brings about such an intimate connection between language and thinking? Is there no thinking without the use of language, namely in concepts and concept combinations, for which words need not necessarily come to mind? Has not every one of us struggled for words, although the connection between things was already clear? We might be inclined to attribute to the act of thinking complete independence from language if the individual formed or were able to form his concepts without the verbal guidance of his environment. Yet, most likely, the mental shape of an individual growing up under such conditions would be very poor. Thus, we may conclude that the mental development of the individual and his way of forming concepts depend to a high degree upon language. This makes us realize to what extent the same language 
means the same mentality. In this sense, thinking and language are linked together.